0: Somebody must figure that Victor's the only one that likes lemon, huh? Aha. <laughs> uh-huh. Let's let's go ahead and pray here. Thank you, Lord. Thank you Jesus for meeting us here this morning. You've been with us all along, Lord. It's more us turning to you. We ask that you would speak to us through your word this day. Help us to be able to Lay aside the things that are distracting us, those things that are trying to get our attention, that try to take our eyes off of you, Lord. Open your word up to us. Speak to us that it produce the life and the faith that it's tended to produce. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's open up to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9 tells a story that I know it's been preached on plenty of times. In the previous chapter Jesus talks to them and that's where he rebukes Peter when Peter tells him not so lord when he says he's going to be going to the cross and he has to say get behind me satan because you're you're savoring the things of men as opposed to the things of god and he goes on to talking about that if that we really it, if we desire to follow after him, we're going to have to deny ourselves. And it talks about having to, if we desire to save our life, that we're going to have to lose it. And then in this chapter 9, he, he starts out with verse 1, he says, Assuredly I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God present with power. Now six days, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves and he transfigured them Before them, clothes became shining, exceeding white, like snow such as no launderer on earth can whiten them. Elijah appeared with them, with Moses, and they were talking with Jesus. And Peter answered and said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Because he did not know what to say, for they were greatly afraid. And the cloud came and overshadowed them and a voice out of the cloud saying, This is my beloved son, hear him and suddenly when they looked around they saw no one anymore but Jesus only with them now as they came down from the mountain he commanded them that should tell no one the things they had seen till the son of man had risen from the dead so they kept this word to themselves questioning what the rising from the dead meant and sometimes we read that and it's almost a chuckle because you know they didn't understand some of the things that we know but knowing isn't isn't what it's all about mm-hmm. you know and why is it that you know, like these these three, they probably thought it was pretty special to go up there with Jesus without the other, the other nine apostles. You know, what, you know, it's, why is it that we enjoy getting revelation or having special times where we feel the touch of Jesus? You know, having it to where he treats us like he doesn't necessarily treat everybody else. Why would we? Why would we like that? You know, it's a it's it's. It's probably having to do with ourself and liking to be thought of as being somebody different than everyone else. But a lot of times, it's at those times we get glimpses and we see the glory of the Lord sometimes. They saw the glory of the Lord here. Jesus was transfigured with the glory that he had put aside when he chose to come and fulfill the Father's will. He put all of that glory aside and he was just like you and I. When you look at Jesus, you wouldn't see that glory when he was walking here. In fact, it describes him like a root out of dry ground. Somebody who didn't have any looks that you would ever desire him for his looks. You know, so it's, it's not anything like that. You know, Moses even is specifically asked, there's even songs that some modern day songs where he asked to see the glory of the Lord. And there's times that he really does, he does show us his glory. We do get those special times. You know, we even sing that one song, I would have despaired unless I had believed to see the glory of the Lord here in this land of the living. Not waiting for heaven, but actually here. There's times that it just seems like we just need something more. A lot like Elijah when he ran away from Jezebel that time. You know, there's nothing else. You might as well take me. I might as well go up to be with you in your glory. And we do see God's glory in those times. If if you never see or feel the presence of the Lord in worship, I... Question whether or not you're really worshiping. Because there are times when those feelings come. But seeing his glory in those special times, like we could call a mountain top times, doesn't mean that we're going to be living for his glory. We don't live for his glory in those times. You know, really we aren't doing much of anything of normal life when we come together like this. Worship is almost like a separated time away from the rest of our life. We come to a special place, even though we don't have to do it here. But we choose to come to this special place to be able to do it. You know, and, and it's down in the valleys of life where he calls us to live for his glory. And a lot of times we don't realize that the reason why he shows us or touches us in those special times is so that we can actually walk and live it out in a way that bring glory to him down there. You know, getting revelations and special times with him are all about how I'm going to live afterwards. If I get a revelation and then don't live according to what I was shown, it really is brings judgment into my life. We have to see that. It's not a blessing. It turns into a cursing if we don't walk out what he shows us. And, you know, it's the word. When Jesus came, he was the word made flesh. And he dwelled among us and he didn't appear, like I was saying before, he didn't appear like he had any glory whatsoever because he had laid it aside. And that's, that's, you know, what glory did Jesus have all those years that he walked on the earth? There was a type of glory, but it wasn't what it was when he was with the Father. It was the glory of the servant's son who walked out his Father's will. A lot of times we don't see that as a glorious thing. To be able to walk out what has been spoken to us, how we've been trained, those things that are expected of us, that's the place where the glory of the Lord is going to be seen in this earth. You know, that's why the story goes on here. It just doesn't end with them going up on that mountaintop. And they talk about Elijah for a little bit and showing that he's John the Baptist. But skip down to verse 14. And when he came to his disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. And immediately when he saw him, when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed and running to him greeted him. And he asked the scribes, What are you discussing with them? Then one of the crowd answered and said, Teacher, I brought you my son, who has a mute spirit. Whatever And wherever it seizes him, it throws him down. He foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth, and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they could cat, should cast it out, but they could not. And he answered him and said, O oh, faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me. Then they brought him to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit convulsed him, and he fell on the ground, wallowing and foaming at the mouth. So he asked his father, How long has this been happening to him? And he said, From childhood. Often he has thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And as I was reading this, I was like, Okay. If somebody said that to me, what would be my answer to that? Most of us would say, okay, bring him over here, we'll pray for him, we'll cast this thing out, right? We'll try. We'll pray and ask the Lord to deliver him, right? But that's not what Jesus did. He confronted him right away with what the place he was in. He says, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. You know, what a lot of times... We've got to realize that the very thing we would choose to do right then is the very thing the 12 had already tried and it didn't work. What would we have done otherwise then? If we had known that the 12 had already tried that and it didn't work. See, that's that's the place where the father had already come to the end of himself. He cries out, I believe, help my unbelief. But the disciples, they stayed right there. They were they were at the loss for what to do and they were humiliated in front of all these people because you know what? Previous to this, they had actually been out there healing the sick and delivering and casting out devils from people. Jesus had given them the power to do this. Yet they were stuck here and nothing happened when they prayed. Ever had that happen to you? Do we sit in it? A lot of times we do, don't we? We just figured we must have done something wrong. You know, we got all the different explanations that go on. Maybe it wasn't the Lord's will. You know, all the different things. But it's obvious that since Jesus cast it out, it must have been the Father's will here. So it can't be that they couldn't do it because it wasn't God's will. It can't be, you know, they'd already been able to do it before, so it wasn't like they were unable to do it. But you know what? God's faithful to put us into places where things don't work. He's faithful to make it to where we actually try everything we already know and it, we come to the end of ourselves and we find out it's still not happening. What we know full well, he wants and he desires to happen. It doesn't happen. And you know what? We can get really bitter when that happens. Sometimes we just go, go off and just sulk. Sometimes we just, the next time we pray for somebody, we're, we've got that in the back of our mind that it didn't work that time. It didn't happen that time. Instead of really pressing in, you know, the disciples later on here, Jesus does end up casting it out. But down in verse 28, it says, When they came into the house, the disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast it out? They wanted to know what they did wrong. And if you listen, read what Jesus said, you could actually take it that there was something that they actually did wrong. So he said to them, "What this kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. So, if they would just been praying more beforehand, it would have worked. Or if they had somehow had some premonition from the Lord these days before that, and they had been fasting, it would happen, right? That's what it almost sounds like, right? But what's the whole point of Praying. It's actually where you come before the Lord, right? We actually come before Him, and we actually get His heart on things. We may have requests, but if we're actually honestly praying and coming before God, it's not just about what I want when I come before God. Is it with you guys? We actually a lot of times find out that we have some wrong views. We have some things that we need to repent of. We have, you know, we go through all kinds of things when we come before a holy God, and we realize, boy, I haven't been walking in holiness. Haven't been doing this. We find that there's all kinds of things. And so, prayer isn't just about getting things. Prayer isn't just about delivering this boy either. And fasting. If you don't go to God when you're fasting, it's just a, it's just a, a good weight loss program. That's all it is. You know, fasting is supposed to be just to make it to where we're less distracted by the things that keep us from coming to him to where we actually make it so there's more time to come to him. If you don't pray more when you're fasting, you might as well start eating. But, you know, it's not it's not a how-to thing here. If You know what? If they had not eaten the day before, they still might not have been able to do it. You know, if all we're go- going to do is look and see what the Bible has to say and say it's a how-to thing, there will be limited success in that because that's not what Jesus wants. He doesn't want us just to be well-trained soldiers that can go about doing the orders that we're called to. He wants to walk with us, and he wants us to walk with him and have his heart. And, you know, Jesus you know, Jesus is really clear in, in another place in the Scripture. I think it's in the Gospel of John where he says, without me you can do nothing. But how many of us really believe that today? It's so far today. How many things did we actually ask the Lord's help for? just this morning? If we're honest, when we first wake up and get out of bed, we should be pleading with the Lord for his help, asking for him to be with us because we know that we can't make it through the day without Him. He's the one that gives us every breath that we breathe. We sing all about these things, but a lot of times when it comes to not being in the singing time, we don't really have those things really be what our what we think about. We just, we feel very capable. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's very easy to do that. Jesus pressed the Father here to the place where where he could have, where he could confidently say, yes, I believe, but he realized that his believing wasn't going to be enough. He said, I believe, but help my unbelief. There's a limit to what I can do, no matter how well I believe. And that's the case for you and I, and not just this man here that was the Father. He was pushed by the circumstances, to a place where his belief didn't matter anymore. He needed help. He needed somebody to help him. Even though Jesus said, if you believe, this is possible right now. But he knew he wasn't going to be able to do it. Have we been pressed to that place? Or do we go about trying to come up with a plan and come up with a way to get things done as we go along instead of asking for help from, from the Lord? You know, really, when it comes down to it, Jesus, he did cast out the spirit. but so why was it that the, that the boy didn't get delivered when the apostles tried to do it? Hmm? They just were doing what they had always done up until that point, most likely. you know and Jesus set them up. Do they believe in his glory? Will they take and walk out in this life down here? Will they really press him? You know, he's not going to give them secret how-to-do information. That's not what it's about. You know, a few words could sum up what prayer and fasting is all about. It's just coming to Jesus. It's coming to Jesus. And that's what we have to do. You know, and when we truly come to him, we know that there's nothing we can do. But with him, all things are possible. That's the thing we find, find when we get to that place. Let's turn over to Matthew chapter 4. Victor referred to this thing where Jesus was tempted the other day. Matthew chapter 4. Here again in the chapter just before, at the verses just ahead of that, Jesus had gone to John the Baptist to be baptized. And when he came to him, he said, I need to be baptized by you. And Jesus' answer was, let it be, for now, be fulfilling all righteousness by doing this. And so when Jesus went into the water and came out, what happened? Anybody know? Well, the heavens opened. The Spirit of God came down as a dove, and a voice spoke from heaven, saying, This is my Son in whom I am well pleased. So, was Jesus in the place where he was pleasing to the Father? You know, even if you questioned it before that, when he spoke from heaven, that made it very, very clear, right? And immediately, he called him to do what? If we read in the next, next verse, of the, first verse of the next chapter, he said, Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And he there, when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. So Jesus was in a really good place, right? I don't know if Jesus was ever in a bad place, but you know, that's, that's, that's neither for me to try to figure out. That's just overthinking things. But, could Jesus change that those stones to bread right there? Yeah. Well, if as the Son of God, which is the, what what the devil was saying, as Son of God, he had all authority and power to do that, didn't he? Yeah. But what had he done with that glory and authority? He had already put that aside when he chose to come here. He didn't come as Son of God. He came as what? Man. Son of man. And as Son of man... He was limited in what he could do. In fact, there were times that because of people's unbelief, he couldn't do many mighty miracles, it says in certain places in the Scripture, doesn't it? Yes. So as Son of Man, he could not do this. Why? What could the Son of Man do? Because Jesus did lots of mighty miracles. What was the basis for him to be able to do anything? It's the same basis as you and I. Yes, it's what the will of his father was. And if it was the will of the father to do it, he could have done it very easily as the son of man. But, as, as, but if it, if this was simply a temptation of the devil to say, are you, are you the son of God or not? Prove it. And that wasn't what the father was into. And the father, because the father, you know, Jesus was like, this is not what I'm into. You know, the son can do nothing of himself but only what he sees the Father doing. Jesus said that very clearly about himself, that he couldn't do anything except what the father, he saw the Father doing. And that's why he even went, went on. The devil took him to the, the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, His angels shall give char- he shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot up against a stone. And Jesus said to him, it is written, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. You know the really the, the second temptation is if you're with the Son of God, you can make God do what he says he's going to do. you can make him keep his promises, you can take and make god hold hold God to what He has promised you you know, and there's a lot of theology out there like that if God's promised it, you better claim it and make it yours and that's 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 not the call that we have, and that's where Jesus said, you should not tempt the Lord thy God and The third temptation is simply offering him to get the glory right then, some of the glory right then, that he had already laid aside. The temptations are to take up and walk in a way that you think is right, according to your own. You know, Jesus had his own will. He had his own mind. He had his own heart. That's why at 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 the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Not my will, but yours be done, O God. If it was up to him, he would not have suffered the full thing on the cross. But he laid that aside. He put that aside because it was the will of God. And each one of us, each one of us, we have to come to the end of what we think is right, what we think is best. Let's turn over to James chapter 1. I don't know what it is. Everybody seems like they're wiped out. Even up during worship, people seem like they're wiped out and tired. Shake yourself. It's, that's that's a choice. Mm-hmm. Even if you've been up half the night, it's it's a choice. You know, each one of us, you know, we have a choice of how we're going to be. Even if we're in the midst of a horrible trial, James here in in chapter 1 of James, he's speaking to this. He says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. When your life has got all kinds of things that are really troubling you, he says, to do what? Count it as a joyful thing. That, that That means you can't just go to a natural place on it. Because the the very first thing a lot of us feel that we're we're totally in the right to do is complain when things are going wrong. You know, and it's a hard one not to do. He's saying you gotta grab yourself and saying, Okay, this is joy. And he says, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives liberally without reproach. Now that's kind of strange. He says if you let it have its perfect work, you'll lack nothing. But if you lack wisdom. <laughs> there's a lot of times where it's true that all things belong to us. That all things are ours in Christ. But I don't have the money to pay a certain bill unless I get out there and work. And there's a lot of times that things are freely ours, but they're only ours when we ask for God from, pour them from God and we receive them. We're not going to have them just in ourselves just because God's promised us. And he goes on to say, Let him ask God who gives liberally to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like the wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So, what are we supposed to do if we lack wisdom? Ask. Ask. And what's the warning here when you ask? Ask in faith, not doubting. Doubting what? God? It's kind of silly to be asking God for something if you're doubting him. You're asked, doubting the one you're talking to? And expecting to get it from? Hmm? Well, actually, I think it comes down to doubting the very first thing that you have to know. Do you lack wisdom? Or do you have a plan of your own? A lot of us, we get into all kinds of situation trials. This is talking about being in the midst of a trial. And you have your own way out? Even though you know the way that you're supposed to walk it? It doesn't really seem like it, you have to do it that way. There might be other ways that you can do it. You know, we can squirm and, and get out of trials quite often. And then we can figure out ways to make it through, which are not even really bringing glory to God. It's just getting through you know, holding on to our own life by the skin of our teeth as opposed to allowing our life to actually die and actually grab hold of grab hold of the plan of God and actually doing it his way. There's plenty of times where, you know, I see, my, I, see I can come up with a plan. First thing is you've got to see there's danger in that because come up with our own way, our own plan that seems right unto us. Proverbs tells us the path that that leads to. What's that lead us to? The way that seems right unto a man? Yeah. That's generally, though, how we usually try to make it through a lot of the things that we're supposed to do. Because the way that of the cross, the way that is laid out in the scriptures, a lot of times is a lot harder in our eyes than what my way of doing it is. I've been able to skate through a lot of things. People have let me skate through a lot of things and Now I'm in this situation. I'm just going to try to do it again. And unless that gets brokenness, unless we actually see the danger of actually coming up with our own plan, we're going to doubt there's any need to have any wisdom from God because we we know from experience that I can make it through this until God finally puts us in a pin to where there's no way out. Mm -hmm. And then we all of a sudden realize that we actually need some help. Usually God's faithful to do that. But... If I actually see the danger in that, the first thing I'll do is instead of trying to come up with what should I do, what should I do, what I do, it's going to be how God ask, and he'll show us how to do it. Now, last week Victor was talking about the life of Jesus, and it wasn't just a good life or like a good Christian life. What kind of life did he have? It was a godly life. We throw that word around a lot, but you know, it's... It, The life that he lived is the life that's supposed to be manifested in us. Mm -hmm. Paul talks about it all all the time, that the reason why death's working in us is so that the life of Christ can be manifested in our lives. The whole reason we go through a lot of the things that no, no fool would choose is because God's plan is there and we're supposed to be walking into those things within the plan of God so that he can actually show his life and bring glory to him in it. But, you know, it talks about in, I think it's in 1 Peter, it says you were to add to, to our faith, virtue into virtue, knowledge into knowledge, temperance into temperance, patience into patience, godliness. But a lot of times when it comes down to really what being godly or godliness is, it's a big question mark. You don't even know what it is? You know, if you could take it and say godlike. That's questionable. That's what the devil was trying to be, you know, so it's not, not likely to be that path. The word, the word is, it's amazing. It comes from a compound of two words in the Greek, good worship. You wouldn't think that that would be the case, but that's where you have to really qualify what worship is. It's really how you're walking out. You're actually walking in a place where you're walking in the path of the Lord. You're actually walking out what he's already been instructing. That's the godly life, as opposed to figuring out what I'm going to do today and walking according to my own plan and my own devices. And a lot of times, we're not walking godly. We come up to a situation, and I have an answer before I ever ask God. I've got to, I, I know how to handle this before I ever think of asking God until something like the disciples had comes up where it doesn't work. And then all of a sudden we realize, "Huh, I should have asked God in the first place if we're smart, or we just get mad at the situation and try again, over and over again, doing it the same way, or coming up with a new plan. You know, some of us are a little thick-headed more than others, myself included. But really, when we've got to see that what we're called to is more than just, you know, the good worship is more than just singing, praising, and prayer. It's my life focused on living out Not my will, but yours be done, O God. You know that's that takes deliberately laying aside the way we would handle things. And a lot of us are very, very capable. A lot of us are totally capable of doing a lot of things. As you get older, as you get trained, as you do things, you find that out. That's why I think Jesus gave the Sermon on the Mount. Have you ever read the parts of the Sermon on the Mount? You know, it starts with the Beatitudes: "Blessed are the." blessed are and blessed are, they sound like real simple little things until you really read what's there and then you realize that they're impossible. In fact, why don't we turn there, Matthew chapter 5. We could read through all these things. But one of, the, one of the key ones in verse 8 of chapter 5. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You can focus on the promise there. We get to see God. But there's a qualifier there, isn't there? Blessed are pure in heart. And if we're awake, if we're actually listening to God and actually been in his presence, the very first reaction would be, oh my God, how am I ever going to have a pure heart? Because I know full well of how my heart is and how it tends to be. You know, it, it, it all of a sudden raises up an impossible standard. If I'm ever going to have this, the good part of it, you know, the second part of it happened in my life. And, you know, there's lots of things in here like that. You know, verse, down at verse 20. We won't even, you know, get read all these things. A lot of them really talk about how you walk with each other. That's where we usually fall down. But verse 20, he says, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And we don't have too many people that are officially called scribes and Pharisees anymore. But think of the person who seems to be the most strict, the one who's the hardest, the one who's really pressing in the most to serve God. And you've got to be more righteous than that person. The righteousness that's required. And then he goes down in verse 27. You have heard that it is said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, whoever looks at a woman with lust, lust for her has already committed adultery in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than your whole body be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Now, it's interesting because a blind man can still lust for a woman. And a crippled man can hate even if he can't strike you with his hand and sin with it. So cutting those things off will solve nothing. But, you know, if we we really want to try really, really hard to serve God, basically he's saying go ahead and you'll end up maimed and blind and you'll still be the same sinner you were unless you turn to him and let him do the changing. You know, I haven't seen too many one-eyed, one-hand people in the churches. Not too many people take this literally. But, you know, it's really, we've got to see that, you know, if we're really honest about being strict, we should take these things honestly. And take them and and actually, but he's not into having a disabled church. He's wanting us to realize the futility of trying to do this on our own. The futility of of trying to walk out what it is that we're called to. That's why if we go to the end of the chapter, he says, Therefore you shall be perfect, or be ye perfect, just as your Father in heaven is perfect. And a lot of people try to say, well, that's just talking about love. Yeah, like that makes it any easier. Loving like God loves is going to be a whole lot easier. If you leave out all the other areas he's perfect in and just qualify it with love, that's somehow going to be easier? I don't think so. You know, each, as we go along, a lot of times, if if we rid ourselves of all the things that seem to stop us from serving God, that make us sin, we're going to end up finding that we'll get down to just being who we are and we still are just the same sinner that we were. And that we have no way of being saved, except that God should do it. And it's the, just as it was true when we first met him, it's the same today. You know, we're called to walk in the same faith that we had to have when we first got saved. It, it's, it, if it's not, if it's something that we just consider a done deal... Then we really are just going to start depending more and more upon ourselves and become very capable people. But when we pray, it doesn't work. When we want to see somebody delivered from the devil, it doesn't work. When we want to have somebody healed, it doesn't work. Because it's not the, God, the way that God's plan is, and He only works according to it. You know, we can do our best. But it's, and, and try to, we'll find out it's not enough. And most of us know that. But, you know, as it goes along, you know, if being dis- his disciple depends upon us, honest, you or me, finally, honestly, deciding to chuck all everything that's held us back up to this point. Because a lot of times we know the things in our lives that have held us back. But if it really depends on us finally to chuck that and no longer allowing anything to turn us aside from our goal, go ahead and try it. Because I don't think it will work any better for you than it has for anyone else in this whole entire world or for anybody in this room. Because it's not going to be based upon any what we determine. It's not going to be based upon what we've decided. When we, when we, the only reason we were able to come to Jesus in the first place is because he said one important thing. You know what that is? I chose you. I chose you from before the foundations of the world. Jesus had died from the foundations of the world. His blood was shed for each one of us from the foundations of the world. He chose us. And, you know, that is the way His grace began in each one of our lives. And it's a compelling. It's like a force that's there that we can't get away from. We can disobey it. But just like we didn't start it, We didn't cause it to happen. We didn't make him choose us. We can't make him unchoose us either. We can't make him stop choosing us. In fact, you know, he continues to choose every one of us even today. He's still choosing us today. No matter how many times we've attempted to walk with him and failed miserably along the way, he's still choosing. He's still, his choosing is still upon us. His call is still upon us. You know, he doesn't... He doesn't expect us to do those things that we can do easily, naturally. He calls us to do what his grace has perfectly fit us for. And his grace perfectly fits us to fulfill what it talked about here in Matthew 5, of all those impossible things. His grace perfectly can transform us and make us able to walk this all out. but it takes totally stop depending upon ourselves and depending upon him. And actually, what his word says, choose to walk that out as opposed to coming up with plan B, my plan. But each one of us, it's got to be a choice that we honestly make. Otherwise, we'll still find ourselves coming around to facing the same things that have just brought us down and caused us to fail along in our path previously. Because he's no intention of delivering us from those things as long as we're just going to try to do it ourselves and continue to walk along our way. You know, he, did, he wasn't in a hurry to deliver that guy's son. And he's not in a hurry to deliver us until we are willing to say, not my will but yours be done, O Lord. I'm willing to be a living sacrifice, like we, you know, all the scriptures that we've known down through the years that have been taught, that have been preached, and have convicted us, and we've said yes to, and then ended up walking away from, and not actually walking out with each other in our day to day life. Yeah, there are certain things that certain things that we can honestly say, with God's help, I can do that. They're usually the simpler things, like if somebody asks for your coat, give, your, give them your you know, other coat too, or walk a second mile. We can do some of those things, because they're not the impossible things. But God puts in enough of those things that makes impossible, that unless he does the work, it's nothing. Everything we've been building, everything, haven't you noticed it's a lot of things that we build and give our time to end up being like sandcastles by the beach when the waves come in. There's nothing left, not even a trace left. A lot of the things just get wiped away and all that effort was for nothing. Mm -hmm. Well, it was because we just did it. It might have been a beautiful sandcastle. Some people get really into it. They spend a lot of time doing it in between the tides. That's not what we're called to. We're called to build upon the rock of his word. And what he is called, said, we take and we do it. And we make it the basis of how we live and walk our life. But it's got to be a choice. It, you know, he won't force us. Has he made you do it up till now? But we do suffer consequences as a result. But the choice that's there is, I'll choose your way as opposed to mine, O oh Lord. Amen? Amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. Jesus, we just thank you for your grace and your love and your mercy that's there ready to pick us up, Lord, at any moment. Your hand is upon us, O Lord, and we choose the way of the Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.